Welcome to the 29th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I am Mercedes. This week, we travel to Waco, Texas to begin a two-part series on David Koresh and his ultimate demise. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where an introverted genius was terrorized to death in a tragic game of greed and torture. Fair warning, our show can be extremely horrifying and graphic. We will use offensive language, so if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes Sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and please leave us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters more than we can express with words. Thank you so much. Hey, Mercedes, what's up? Hey, Cindy, not a whole lot. You know, just keeping myself busy during this pandemic. Me too. I finished the Golden Girls. Woo! (laughs) You are so funny. You know, I haven't really done much. Just, uh, you know, working the other job and kind of like trying to spend a few minutes each day straightening stuff up without getting into horrendous pain. But, you know, from our move, I'm still unpacking and moving things around. So, yeah. Good, good. I, um... Let's see. I finished the Golden Girls, like I already said. I obviously did a lot of research on our case today. And um, my friend told me the craziest shit I think I've ever heard in my life. Okay. So I need to share it with you. All right. All right. So first off, you got to put your little foil hat on for this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So um, I was educated on this massive conspiracy theory that I had never heard of before. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Okay. I'd never heard, and it's a fucking whopper, okay? So, have you ever heard that the powerful and famous are drinking the blood of children? No. (laughs) What? I had never heard that either. So, like I said, this is some crazy, crazy, crazy town stuff. All right, so she was telling me that her friend, who's a doctor, who, I I don't know, anyway, they, they were talking on the, they were talking about the coronavirus and all of that. Well, the story goes that, they celebrities powerful people you know people will never be probably (laughs) are not if we have to drink the blood of children i will not be one of those so that these people it's really just like a huge um human trafficking ring and that they're kidnapping these kids off the street and it's these people believe that if they drink the blood of the children they will stay youthful Okay, this is, yeah, I mean, did you look this up? Is there any any truth to this whatsoever? Oh, well, I don't know about truth to it, but yes, I did look it up, and there is a world of crazy on the internet about this, but that's not the only thing that she told me. She, this does, is, she does she believe no, this? No, 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 She was okay. just telling me about it, and she, like, sent me all these links to, like, okay. look all at. Right. So she heard it. She's like, you have a podcast. You got to hear this shit. Do some research. Yeah. Okay. She's like, you got to right. hear this shit. So... That the reason why New York City is, you know, kind of pretty much like shut down. Right. That the reason why it's shut down is because these trafficking rings run through the underground. Okay. And that. Like where the subs, the subways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that 
And it kind of coincides with like the deep state. And so. What is that? The, the deep, deep state, state is like, um, oh God, that's like a totally different, like someone I know um, said they believe that the coronavirus really was put on by the deep state, which is kind of like the rich, the like powerful Democrats. Okay. And Republicans and Republicans. Because Wait, they're saying, does this have anything to do with some sort of airport in Colorado? I've. Oh, I don't know. Okay. All right, go ahead. I don't know. So they're saying, like, I watched a little clip on YouTube about the deep state, and they're saying that, like, every president since Kennedy, Kennedy to Trump, all of the presidents have been part of the deep state, and that anyone who tries to speak out against the deep state is taken down. I didn't say I believed it. I just said, I'm just informing you. So anyway, that this is all part of that, too, and that the reason why New York City is shut down is because these human trafficking rings are using the subway system and the underground to get around and that Trump shut it down or the administ- current administration with their governor. And it's all a big thing that they're shutting New York down to try to fish out the, these human trafficking rings, that that's really why New York is, is in the oh, state that it's oh in. Oh, Lord. Are you kidding? <laughs> now, so, and like I said, the deep state and someone else, and I had not really done a lot of research on the deep state, but someone else had said, I think that's the deep state. And I was like, what? okay, I am definitely looking at the deep state yes, and I'm too. going, that's my homework and I'm going to present it next week. Okay? I have a YouTube video for you. Let me write this down. So, so, okay. Now I can kind of believe, cause I've read a bunch of books that, you know, there's like five families that have always ruled the, you know, the country and like different things. Um, you know, I might be inclined to maybe believe about the deep state long before I believe that the rich and famous are drinking the blood of children. So deep state cabal, yes. Blood drinking celebrities, not so much. I, I would I would have to say I would believe the other way around. <laughs> I'm definitely going to look into this. There's like a conspiracy theory about something like this. And, and it has to do with the Colorado airport. Like, I... Like there's an underground in the Colorado airport. I'm not, I don't know. This is like some wacky thing that um, maybe, you know, I read at some point. But well, there, there's uh, lots of have you ever seen the TV show Mysteries of the Underground? No, it's this because guy. it's probably something really hokey. That's totally unbelievable. No, 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 no. Have you ever seen Mysteries at the Museum? It's like, yes, I like mysteries. Okay, the it's museum. the same. It's the same thing. It's just Mysteries of the Underground. So they go and they. Um, go to historical, like the underground, like underground Washington, D.C., underground Seattle, where there was a bunch of um, like speakeasies. And so they research the literal undergrounds of stuff. Like there's places in Washington, D.C. that you can't go without, you know, right. Secret Service clearance. And like, like they do the underground at Disney and all that kind of stuff. So okay. it's actually, I really liked it. It's not on anymore, but it's really interesting. All right. Well, that that is interesting. I mean, this, all of this is is super interesting. I'm definitely going to look into it. But um, yeah. I mean, it's not like Treasure Hunter stuff. No, not like yeah, that. Yeah. No. That's just bizarre that your friend would send you that. Yeah. Like, she was like, have you seen this? And I was uh, like, oh, Lord. Okay. You're the go-to for the crazy stuff, I right? So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so what do we have for this week? Well, we are... Um, we're going to talk about the Branch Davidians. Ooh. And so you, and this is huge. So you're actually going to do two weeks, right? So this yes. is part one. This is part one. And then we'll do part two of episode 29 next week. Yes. Yay. Uh, yes. You get to do all the work for two weeks. <laughs> and it's a lot of. 
Yes, it is. Information. So yes. if I don't get everything, I apologize. But I'm, I... But you're also going to give us... I, I know that there are a lot of things going on, but it seems like Waco is all over everything. Maybe just because I'm home, but I know there's like a Netflix series. It seems like there's another documentary that, that's been on. Well, the anniversary was last week. Oh, that might explain it. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of going to go on a different level. So it's not repeated information that we've all heard before. Right. I'm not starting on April 19th, 1993. Okay. So I'm, gonna, I'm going. God, was it that long ago? It was, yes. Holy shit. Okay. It really doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but I guess it was. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, all right. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's go. All right, let's everybody. Go. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> all right. So... Really, the name of this religious sect is really the Davidians Seventh-day Adventists. Am I saying Adventists? Yes. Yeah. So they really, they don't even call themselves the Branch Davidians, not the people who lived at uh, Mount Carmel. Car- Carmel. Okay. Can you? Am I saying that? Carmel? Carmel. 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 All right. And where is Mount Carmel? Like Waco, Texas. Oh, okay. Well, there's also one in Israel, but... We'll get there. All right. So, so we're just, we're going to, you're going to start telling us a little bit about the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah. Um, and how, like, I'm really going way back. And, and so this is just a branch of Seventh-day Adventists. I know a little bit about Seventh-day Adventists. My mom found Jesus, mm-hmm. bless her heart. Um, Why? I didn't know he was missing. <laughs> well, he was missing from her life. I guess she was always been seeking something her whole life. And so she, um, she was saved in Seventh-day Adventist. And my stepfather has always had a band. Like he's always, you know, had a band. And he found Jesus with my mom and they found it at Seventh-day Adventist. Like they were going there and they he got did. baptized there. Well, until he asked if he could be a member of the band. And they told him that drums and electric guitars were instruments of the devil. And then, of course... They left that church and went to a different one. Yeah. So mm. they don't allow dancing. Um, my sister actually got her, her husband is Seventh-day Adventist. And they don't allow dancing or any kind of like um, at the reception. It was just very, it was very like seventh, seven-year-old birthday party-ish. Very you know? Southern Baptist-like. Uh, yeah. Even though, you know what? I was born and raised Catholic. And you know what? Hey, listen, we know how to throw a party, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to start off by saying that the Branch Davidians are not to be confused with the original Davidian Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. So, okay. So the Branch Davidians, that's David Koresh. Well, it was actually that before. That he did not. He didn't start the. No. Okay. Mm-mm. All right. All right. So, and and I'm, like I said, I'm going a little, little way back here because I feel like it's important to kind of really understand how this so it would be kind Transpire. of like, um, I mean, I can't even think of an example, but just a brand, these people just decide to break off from a religion because they don't agree with some of the, yeah, like, for example, the FDLS, which is, uh, um, they broke up from, mm-hmm. broke up with the mm-hmm. Mormon, the Latter-day Saints, and mm-hmm. they're stricter. Yes. And I mean, there's different, you know, I mean. Like the Hasidic Jews versus the Reformed Jews versus the. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, So, um, sorry. In 1933, a member of the, I'm just going to call the Seventh-day Adventist, I'm just going to call them SDA. Okay. All right. So a member from the SDA grew tired of the main body of the church and how permissive they had become. So he and a few followers left for Waco, Texas. So the SDA, like you said, they're very strict. 
They're very conservative and very strict. So he was like, nah, we need to ease up a little bit. So this guy, uh, Victor Haltstuff, Haltstuff, Haltstuff. Yeah, he's not, he is from, I forget where he's from. He's a foreigner. He's not an American. Oh, he's not American. Yes. So he, okay, I'm confused. So he was upset because the church was too strict and he wanted to be less strict. Yes. I mean, he still followed, you know, some strict guidelines, but it was just a little too stuffy for him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and they are like, they're like, I don't even think like they don't eat meat. They uh, eat meat. They just don't eat. They, they don't eat, eat pork. They don't, they don't eat anything with a split hoof. Because this is this is so funny. But someone I know is married to a Seventh Day Adventist, and she will cook pork and tell him, "Oh no, that's that's steak." Oh shit. <laughs> Yes. Wow. No, it's just chicken. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I know someone who is Seventh-day Adventist. And, and you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I And I asked her, I was like, what do you, why don't you eat? And they don't eat anything with a split hoof because it's considered um, like dirty. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pig, the that's Jews, a deer, that's a Muslim. That's, yeah. Yeah. So anything yeah. with a split hoof. Right. All right, so, and this person I actually, that I know is actually a vegetarian. She doesn't eat any meat. Um, but anyway, this Victor guy, he promised his followers that Waco would be the new promised land. I don't know how he came across Waco and that being the promised land. But, so to impress the idea of his acolytes, he Christen, christened their new colony called Mount Car- Carmel. And the Old Testament, First Kings, Mount Carmel is the location where the Israelite prophet elijah killed the followers of the phoenician god ball okay my husband saw me you say carmel i say carmel i don't i don't know which way it's actually pronounced well you say it's not caramel no it's not caramel caramel okay (laughs) so i i honestly don't know which way that's spelled okay and they don't really say that that word very often because when you say waco they just say Waco, the compound at Waco or whatever. Right. But you'll right. I'll repeat this word. So the times. compound at Waco, this is the same one that this guy founded in nineteen thirty three? Yes. It's the same plot of land and everything. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that is correct. That is correct. So after establishing and set and settling there, um, this guy Victor made an official split from the main body of the SDA when he names Mount Caramel, Carmel, Caramel. He names their sect the Davidians Seventh-day Adventist Church in 1942. Okay. So now we have the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist. Yes. yes. So the sect would prosper under the, under Victor's leadership, and then in 1955 he died, So, which resulted in a gap in leadership until 1949, uh, 59, excuse me. So he died in 55, and there wasn't really any leadership, like a true leader, until 1959. 55, 59. Four years. Yes. So a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Roden um, would assume leadership and and position over the branch as it would become known. So the main body of the SDA church is who called them the branch. Okay. And later survivors of the 93 raid and siege on Waco um, never referred themselves as referred to themselves as Branch Davidians. They just referred to themselves as, as Davidians. Yes. So Rodin would follow most of his successor's ideas, um, but he did start to take the church in a little bit more of an Old Testament direction. So oh, he kind of backtracked a little bit to kind of back on the conservative more. An eye for an eye, you know, don't, um, don't 
what is that? Don't envy they, your neighbor's ass or his wife. <laughs> right. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't do drugs or anything like that, obviously. Very strict about that. So Rodin would remain in, in, in control and in power until his death in 1978. Um, the branch would experience a power struggle that caused great turmoil after his death. They did not experience this when Victor died. So when Benjamin died, things about got a little crazy. So Benjamin Rodin had a, had a son named George, and George assumed that he and his elderly mother, Lois, would just be the natural leaders of the branch. But there was a young guy by the name of Vernon Howell who had other ideas. He wanted to take over. So there started, they, there was a, a fight so that would break out. Now, so at this, uh, at Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. people, is it like a commune? where people live there and they all work kind of like um, when we did the Michael Ryan episode and everybody lived on the farm and they all did the work. Is that, is that what I'm seeing here? I mean, like this isn't like, okay, on Sunday morning we go to church and we go home. home. Yeah, no. I'm, well, I mean, there are some people who did not live there, but the majority of the people, when they dedicated themselves to the Branch Davidians, they moved there. They gave up all of their possessions, and they to, sold everything off. and To the church, which is one of the characteristics of a cult. Right. Okay. So, And there were very successful people who were, like, living in Hawaii and gave up. I mean, if you were living in Hawaii, you know, and you're not from there, just, per se, yeah, then you I know, mean, you're doing pretty well. Right. Because that's fascinating to me that people are seeking something i mean like my mom for instance like just seeking something inside to where you would i mean and she did she she sent money to like joyce myers and all of these people that i mean joyce myers is one of the least dangerous of the people that she sent money to but i mean some of the people i'm listening to them and i'm like going these people are whack mm-hmm. you know they're driving around and and rolls royces and living in mansions and stuff while remember that guy here in town out there oh yes oh, oh yeah he was a cult leader yeah. <gasps> definitely we oh, i've got a story for you later well, on I that got lots one, of but, stories about that asshole. um listen so but this is a little bit different because the leader was not living in luxury correct correct he okay. was not so these are and kind of like michael ryan is just for the good of the commune and truly believed maybe that they were chosen by god yeah oh, okay. uh, yeah yeah you're getting there okay all right so this guy, Vernon, who wanted to be the leader of the Davidians, he was considered a rebel to mostly conservative branch Davidians. So they're still conservative. They're, you know, they're not, I mean, it's still a church. They still, the the Bible is the law. You know, they're not just, you know, out smoking crack and then, you know, partying it up out here. Okay. Right. So in many ways, he represented the younger generation of the Seventh-day Adventists. Because you know how, like, churches started around this time, starting getting more more contemporary. You know, we have contemporary churches now. Some conservative churches have contemporary services, you know. Yeah, because the church that I go to had, like, has, like, you know, Jesus on a surfboard. Yeah. Our pastor wears flip-flops, <laughs> board shorts. So, They're trying yeah. to reach everyone. Right. I remember right. I went to a church when they when they first opened, I got like a postcard in the mail and it had a caveman. I'll never forget. It had a caveman on it that said, come as you are. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not, there's just, it right. makes you more comfortable. So, um, so they considered Vernon kind of a rebel. He was younger. Um, he wore T-shirts and jeans, pajama pants sometimes. He wore long hair, um, which really kind of angered those who were led by George Roden. So George would become even more angry when Vernon uh, supposedly started having sex with Lois. 
Lois is Vernon's mom. No, Lois is George's mom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so wait, step back. So Lois and George are in charge of this ranch in Waco. Yes. And it is... um, but there's a power struggle because Vernon kind of really wants yeah, to take over. Yeah, and he's charismatic. He's got long hair. He's, you know, he's got his pulse on the people. Mm-hmm. And he's having sex with dude's mom. Yeah, who's 40 years older than him. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So this really kind of pissed George off. <laughs> well, yeah. I yeah, so. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Because, you know, not, not only do you know, does George know, but probably so does every parishioner. Yes. So, well... Vernon would eventually, it got to be so bad and war, 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 war of words that Vernon took his group of followers, which I might add was the bulk of the people, and he left for Palestine, Texas. Um, but before he left, he married 14-year-old Rachel Jones. Okay. Yes. 14. He, 14. And how old is he? Because you didn't say... At this time, he's around 19 to 22 years old. So he's having sex with a 60-year-old woman, and then he's marrying a 14-year-old. Yes, which was completely legal in the state of Texas with parental consent. It's still legal in some states, I'm pretty sure, with parental consent, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I know that like 17, I think is, but I'm, I'm sorry. What, there is absolutely no reason on earth, I don't care if it's legal or not, a 14-year-old and a 19-year-old have nothing in common, and a 19-year-old has no business well, with a 14-year-old. Well, I agree, but I would rather it be he's 19 instead of, like, 30 or 40. Well, we'll get there. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm saying that it's it's not right. I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's right. I'm just saying that... You know, some boys are very immature. I mean, you're, I mean, you're right. 14 and 19, there's a huge difference. But girls are a little bit more mature. Boys are a little bit more immature. So I can kind of justify that more than, say, you know, 14-year-old and a 25-year-old. Or Still not giving my 14-year-old daughter permission to marry a 19-year-old. Okay. No. Thank goodness I never had daughters. Mm-mm. But her daddy did. <sighs> he was one of... He was there with them. He was one of the followers. So the girl's dad... Yeah, let her. This yeah. is this whole thing just makes me. I don't understand people who do this shit. Like, why would a man ugh, give up his daughter like that? Okay, I, I don't you know. got me. All right. So, one would think that it was everything would be okay since Vernon left. Vernon Howell left, took his group of followers with him, but George just couldn't let it go. Mainly because he took most of his people with him. Okay. Right. He became obsessed with Vernon Howell. And he became obsessed with proving that Vernon was a false prophet. And so while Vernon was in Palestine and they were fighting, you know, saying bad things about each other, it just, things just got worse and worse and worse. And peace was not in the near future at all. So I was asking myself, why the hell was George so fixated on Vernon? Was he angry that most of the church left with him? Was he still mad about him having sex with his mother but it so i mean it just it's, or is it's, it just all of the above and it, it, it is it's an ego thing too to think you know this guy has come in he's taken my property yep. it's a um it's a pissing contest it was a dick measuring contest yes. most definitely yeah all right so well it all came to a head in about 1987 george came up with this crazy ass plan that he was going to disprove vernon once and for all 
He told his followers what was left of him, of his plan. And not one of them said, this is insane, juvenile, and just plain stupid. So, you ready? George, <laughs> George dug up the remains of a Davidian that had been buried there on the property and challenged Vernon to raise her from the dead. Okay. Because if he was a true prophet, he could raise someone from the dead, right? Yes. Is that the argument? Yes. Okay. So these people are not sane. They're not, they're not like thinking clearly. But well, but Rodin knows that it's not, not Rodin. Is it Rodin? Rodin. Yeah. yeah he knows it's not going to happen. I think he really thinks that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he knows. But in his mind, he's like, see, he won't be able to do it. So then I can say, see, he's not he's not who he says he is. All right, please don't tell me he does it. (laughs) So, okay, so maybe he was a little bit more unstable than Vernon was, okay, at the time anyway. So Rodin misjudged Vernon completely. Instead of indulging Rodin, George, he, in this twisted fantasy, Vernon said, "Um, excuse me, Mr. Police Officer, this craziest guy, you know, dug up this woman and da-da-da-da. Well, the police basically told them, okay, we would need solid proof that he disinterred this lady, and there's no way for us to get that proof without a search warrant. So, there's not much we can do about it. And Vernon was like, well, I call bullshit and watch this. So, he and his little follower, band of merry men, went to the compound on November 3rd, 1987. Vernon and several of his little members there were like, we're going to prove that he broke the law. So they went out to the local stores. They bought boots, camouflage fatigues, oh, and bullets. Lots of bullets. So then... So they had guns, obviously. They had guns because they knew that George Roden was heavily armed and would not hesitate to shoot someone who was on his property. Anyone that he felt was a... um, an intruder, any, especially Vernon Howell. So they get on there and they're trying to, you know, find this woman that he dug up. Well, gunfire breaks out between the two factions. Almost immediately they start shooting at each other. This is 1987, by the way. Yes. It's like a Wild West shootout. Yes. I mean, it's like, okay. I mean, it's like a, like some freaking made up West Virginia bullshit. But neighbors called, finally called the police and they took, um, Vernon and his men into custody. They were all charged with attempted murder, but were later acquitted. So why were they acquitted? I don't know. But get this. At the time that the verdict came in, Roden was actually in jail on contempt of court charges. So he was serving a six-month sentence, which was a perfect time for a takeover because he was he owed back taxes on the compound. Oh, well, see, we've seen this before in the Michael Ryan case, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Wait until the back taxes are due and then sneak in underhandedly, right? Yep, and that's yeah. exactly what they did. So he owed back taxes. So Vernon and some other Davidians paid the back taxes, secured the compound as their own. And according to a book I was reading, The Waco Siege, George Roden spent the majority of his life in and out of mental institutions anyway. So in this one act of crazy set into motion the tragic events that would occur April 19th, 1993. Okay. So I have a couple of questions here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, first of all, where are they getting the bankroll for this? How are they making money? I know some of them might have had jobs. I know that I think some of them held outside jobs. They um, Now, I know like in the 90s, they didn't have a lot of bills because I guess when they paid for this. No, I take that back because they did sometimes go do gigs and stuff like it because David Koresh played the guitar. 
Okay. So there was that income. Other people had income. They had like retirements and that, all, right. all sorts of okay. things. Okay. All right. So at this time, how they came up with this money, so, I do not know. So George Roden, even before Vernon Howe came into the picture, had been um, had been mentally ill and spent time in and out of a mental mental health institutions. Yes. Okay. All right. So who exactly is Vernon Howell? He was now the new leader of the Branch Davidians and the king of Mount Carmel. Or where, how are we saying it? Carmel. Carmel? Carmel is fine. All right. So I'll give you a little background on Vernon Wayne Howell. Vernon Wayne Howell was born August 17th, 1959 in Houston, Texas. He was born to an Edwin, unwed mother of a 14-year-old, uh, Bonnie Sue Clark. So she had a 20-year-old boyfriend. So once again, a grown-ass man having a kid with a 14-year-old. But he quickly abandoned them and, for another teenage girl. Yeah. So his mother left him in the care of his grandmother the majority of the time. And um, actually until, like, permanently when he was, like, four years old. She would come in and out of his life. And I read somewhere else that she actually, she came back into his life when he was around seven after she had remarried. And she actually was married, like, a total of three times. And he would later go, um, Vernon Howell would later go on and say that those stepfathers were often very abusive to him. Um, his mother actually described him as very cute, sweet, and inquisitive child. And that he was also a very hands-on kind of guy because he struggled in school. He had dyslexia, which, you know, isn't as easily diagnosed then as it is even today. And it's not easy to get diagnosed with dyslexia today. No. And I have dyslexia, so I totally understand the pain there. So he had, ample, he had really bad study skill habits, you know, so he had dropped out of school by the time he was a junior in high school. Um, but I also read that he was kind of like in the, in the special ed classes and he was made fun of a lot. He was, you know, he wasn't a big guy. I mean, I read somewhere else that, like, at the time of his death, he weighed 125 pounds. Wow. Yeah, so he wasn't, you know, a, a big guy. But he was labeled Vernie and even Mr. Retardo, which is absolutely horrible. Yeah. I mean. But I'm seeing a lot of correlations between this guy and Michael Ryan because Michael Ryan, too, was not good in school. He had um, some learning disabilities. He was made fun of. People thought he was a loser. So... It's just funny that these people who are seen this way in school tend to have so much power later. Right. And he wasn't, obviously, as we'll get into it, Vernon Howell was not a um, a dumb man. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't right. even intellectually, like, stunted. He was no, He was definitely did not have any kind of mental retardation or anything like that. He just had trouble reading and spelling. Right. So, because... Um, as it we'll, we'll learn, um, he's very good with his hands. He's very uh, mechanical. So um, even though he struggled in school, he had a flair for the mechanics and theology. He was very good at, like, he memorized the Bible at a very young age. He was once given a radio that he took apart. Just He just wanted to see how it worked. Was his grandmother Seventh-day Adventist? Like, did he grow up in the church? Mm -hmm. And his mom. Okay. So we, uh, we get to where, like, how he was actually raised in a very strict Seventh-day Adventist Yeah, family. his mother. Okay. Right. So, I mean, she kind of gets her life back together when she enters back into his life. Well, when she grows up a little bit, too. I mean, yeah. she, she's 14. 
um, he also once found like a old guitar and he repaired it. And that's when his like love for music started. And I don't, I couldn't find like how he learned how to play the guitar. I don't know if he like taught himself or if he hooked up with someone who, who taught him how to play, but he does use his musical talents for the rest of his life. All right. So like I was saying, he was raised in a very strict, the very strict confines of the SDA. And while other kids his age were chasing girls and smoking dope and all of that, he was perfecting his craft. Oh, his craft. Yes. So by 14, Vernon had learned, um, had memorized the New Testament. And by 15, the Old Testament, which for someone with dyslexia, I would think that would be a pretty quite a feat i would find it hard to believe that he memorized the whole thing that's like repeated like several times by several different people saying that he i mean he mm-hmm. might know the bible and a lot of stories but but mem- from memory yeah. i mean that seems and le- that i just mean seems- hey who knows I, I you know you always have those people sometimes that you run into that they can quote the bible for every little situation it's yes. like yes well, you know what? That might be your interpretation, but I have my own. Thank you right. very much. Yes. So uh, Vernon would also later say that God spoke to him as a child and told him that he was the chosen one, the Messiah. But I'll get back to that later. So by 19, now, and this is the only information I could find about this because I tried. It says by 19, he actually had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. I could not find anything else because he married Rachel at 14. So I don't know. That's all. That's all the information I could find about a 15 year old. So, but I, like I said, I put this in my notes because I'm like, well, is it, it wouldn't have been an illegal sexual relationship if it was his wife. So this had to have been before her, before he met her. He claimed to be a born again Christian and soon joined his mother's church, the Seventh-day Adventist, because he was very much raised in that, in the confines of that anyway. So he just went ahead and joined. But eventually he would get expelled from the church when he became infatuated with the pastor's daughter. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it with a quickness. <laughs> so he believed that Isaiah thirty four sixteen was a sign from God that the pastor's daughter should become his wife. The pastor um, absolutely did not agree with this. Okay. Vernon came to this revelation after a prayer session and spotted the verse in an open in an open Bible after opening his eyes from praying. The verse states, "None should want for her mate." So I don't how he got that to that. I've got no idea. But in 1981, Vernon moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined the Branch Davidians. All right. So really quickly, we know that the Roden guy had mental illness. Is there any sort of mental illness on um, Vernon Howell yet? Nope, but we'll get there. Okay, all right. So he's <laughs> hearing from God. I'm not, I'm not saying God talks to me sometimes too, but he never tells me that I'm like... The Messiah? The Messiah, yeah. yeah. Thank God. I'm not <laughs> right? like that sure. <laughs> no, no, no. So of course, again, according to the book, The Waco Siege by Jack Rosewood and Dwayne Walker, it is at this point in Vernon's life that he realized that... Certain sermons about the Bible would attract people and certain people that seem to be the easy part, though. So So, go ahead. He is able to draw in the lonely, the disenfranchised. Yes, because he was disenfranchised. So he knows. I use that word later. That need. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He knows that need that people have for human interaction and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So he's preying on those who are lonely and whatever. Okay. He can get them there. It's keeping them interested 
is what he had to really get get at. But he was very passionate. He was very charismatic. His teaching style was definitely bucking the normal SDA, you must act like this establishment. Um, His sermons were for the converted, for the recovering. Many of the group that followed him to Palestine originally and then back to Waco were made up of former drinkers, drug, drug abusers, and womanizers. He presented his sermons in such a way that anyone could understand. He, according to the book, he really liked metaphors in using them. So he even compared sins to boogers. Okay, that's disgusting. (laughs) Really? But listen, listen. So that nasty, this is a quote, that nasty sin, how, how can you, I'm sorry, how can you get, how, wait, how can you now get rid of the stuff? It's like a booger on your fingers, right? You're trying, you know, you're picking and it gets on your other finger. Even when you're traveling 50 miles an hour down the road and you're trying to flick it off. I know what I'm talking about, you see. And he was... Please tell me he did not pick his boogers on the stage or on the altar because that is disgusting. No, I think it was just like he... he, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I would bust out laughing. I could not take this guy seriously. I don't think I could either. But think about it, though. Because we've all picked our nose and we've all been driving down the road trying to, like, get it off our finger before. And sin, it don't even look at me like that. Okay, it's so, an image I just don't even want in my head right now. I know, now. But, but, think, but think about it. Like, sin, when you are, he's saying that sin is nasty and we're all sinners. He, he calls himself, or he doesn't ultimately call himself the, the sinful Messiah. Someone else does. But it's his idea that I'm a sinner. Jesus... Is a what if it's a crusty booger? Okay, well that might fling off better. Okay. okay. God, why but are we he's talking like saying, about boogers? Because he's saying like sin is clingy. It clings. Okay. okay. All right. All right. So, um, as his followership, I guess you would say, increased, he looked to take his message to the next level, to the masses. Okay, so in the summer of 1990, he was like, I got to get a new name. This Vernon shit sucks. All right, poor guy. Vernie. Vernie. Yeah. That's... Yeah, and he probably, you know, if they called him Vernie, he probably, like, had some, like, I don't, don't ever call me that. I don't want to be called that. Um, so he chose a first name that he took from the Old Testament, David. Many know the story of David and Goliath, so I'm not even going to get into it. And David was the second king of the kingdom of Israel. Vernon believed that he carried Daviak. Davidic. Davidic, thank you. I said it earlier and I said it right and I knew I was saying it wrong. Davidic qualities within him. Howell chose a last name that was no less biblical. He chose the Hebrew version of the ancient Persian king Cyrus name. So the Hebrew name for Cyrus is Koresh. Okay. Hello, David Koresh. Now, just out out of curiosity, do they call God Yahweh? Um, The Jews do, yes. Well, I know that some, yeah, some Jews do. Mm Mm-hmm. Does David Koresh do the branch to No, I don't think so, no. Okay. But right. it just depends, like, if they repeat it, like, in, um, you know, like, in scripture or, you know, I mean, if you even listen to, like, certain songs, like, on the Christian radio station, I think they use that kind of interchangeably, probably for lyrical reasons okay. and that sort of thing. Right. Someone using that term doesn't necessarily mean... You're walking the line on the bo- on the border of cult and not cult, but you're probably a little closer to it than just, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but you know, it just seemed like it's very popular with them. All right. Um, but there's also Yahweh, and then there's another one that has just gone from my... Um, it's okay. 
Oh, let's just not worry about it. Oh, well, it'll come to me in, you know, about 10 minutes. So Cyrus had conquered Babylon in 539 BC, and he is the one who allowed the Jews to go back to Israel and rebuild Solomon's temple. So he's the Persian king who allowed the slaves to go back. Was Solomon's temple in Israel or? Yes. Babylon? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Together, the names tell a lot about the prophet and the preacher's vision, which he claims came to him in a trip to Israel. Now, this is when I think that the wires might have gone a little haywire for him. Five years prior to changing his name to David Koresh, he, he and his followers made a pilgrimage to Israel. Vernon expressed his displeasure with the original Mount Carmel, stating that it was very unimpressive. It's like, there's nothing to see So the original Mount Carmel in Israel, he felt, was unimpressive. Yes, yes. This is when he claims that the true spiritual experience took place. As he stated, um, as stated previously already mentioned in the book that I was reading, Vernon claims that he was brought to the heavens on a celestial chariot. Yeah. Uh, was he on LSD or any sort of hallucinogenic <laughs> right. mind-altering drugs? <laughs> right. All right. So on his trip to, on his celestial journey to heaven, he states that much was revealed to him. But the most important was the secret to the seven seals of the book of Revelations. Okay, so again, the book of Revelations attacks again. Yes. Okay. So the, the pro- that seems to be a cult, like in these wackos that we've been looking at, and I've got my wacko coming up after episode 29, but this seems to be the Revelations is always... It's very, it's the apocalypse. Yeah, they're it's very, like the war, right? Yeah, okay. they're very obsessed with, with the apocalypse. And I mean, it's not like churches don't, you know, and I did read where it says most Protestant churches are the ones who really kind of view that as the story of the apocalypse. And then it said somewhere um, that Catholics believe it, just consider it commentary. I didn't really. Like when in Catholic, like I was pretty much raised in Catholic school, went to Catholic university and like that was never a major focus for us. Mm -hmm. The revelations. I mean, you know, we, it was all metaphoric. So yeah, I mean. So his, he now believed that he was the prophet and had to bring the message to the world. Now, the thing is, is it, it's, he is in his mind, the only one who can interpret these seven seals. And and let me just clarify that I am by no means a practicing Catholic. So I'm just remembering like based on my own education and um, experience in the church that we do not focus on the revelations. So I don't want to say that Catholics don't because I will just say that in my experience, we did not. Right. And there's some, you know, fire and brimstone churches. That's what they do. Well, and I you, didn't ever, I didn't go to those churches. My husband is Methodist. So he, that's, you know, like the step sibling of, of the half brother of Catholicism. I mean, when we went to church. Except there, we, for they only give you grape juice when you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They give you grape juice. But I mean, they, we they got still. We the real stuff. They, okay. uh, you know, anyway, oh. the, the Methodists. Oh, that. okay. Um, Go to church every Sunday? Okay, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I did. No, we do watch it. Right now, no one's going to church. Um, but, so like I said, most Protestants... Sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be Satan? Uh, most Protestants... off like a booger. <laughs> 
most Protestant scholars revere revelations as a prophecy of the end times, and each seal represents progression towards the apocalypse and the eventual return of Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. So I'm only going to read this one little bit of revelation, and then, um, because it kind of, I, I need to, I'm not going to just tell you, hey, go look this up. I need to tell it, I need to read it to, in order for you to, right. for me to explain more stuff. All right. So Revelation 5, 4 through 6. This is the NIV version. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, was triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the corner of the throne, encircled... Standing at the center. Center. Did I say corner? Corner. Oh, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of earth. Oh. All right. So... Seeing that Koresh, so now I'm gonna, I'm not gonna call him Vernon anymore. Okay, so now it just Vernon Howell is no it, longer Vernon Howell. He, he is, is now David Koresh. David Koresh. Yes. So Koresh thought that he was the root of David. So I am from him. So clearly he's talking about me. As um, an armchair psychologist, <laughs> I would definitely say narcissistic uh, tendencies and mm, I, I don't know. I have to keep going. I have to just, keep thinking about it. Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. All right. So clearly he was the one who was going to interpret the seven seals. His interpretation was a point of contention between David Crush and the FBI, which I will address later. So just, just out of, he obviously believed all this. This isn't a ruse to get oh, followers no. and all that. Like he truly believed. Oh yes, Because I think with Michael Ryan, he knew the arm test was fake. Like he knew. Oh yeah. He was, comp- yeah, no, no, no. But he, this he, guy believes his bullshit. Okay. All right. Um, So David Crush never fully released his interpretations, but what is known is that violence will consume the world, and that was what he was saying. His translation of the second and the fourth seals are the are only known through surviving members. So the second and the fourth seals are particularly violent, and most Christians seem to cringe at the violence. But David Koresh thrived. He was Violinolent. Like, <laughs> I know. I don't know what I was... Violinolent. I like that word. <laughs> he once allegedly told his followers that the Bible is a, is, the Bible is a whole book about nothing but killing. Sounds like a Marine to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's supposedly the greatest book ever written. Yeah. And um, it it's does have about- some great stories in there. It's got murder, sex, all the good things. All right. Right? Yeah, it's all about killing. Don't you know that? All right. So as he was interpreting the seal, he began to make claims that only the Lamb of God can interpret the seals. Therefore, he was the Lamb of God, the Messiah. He proclaimed to be a prophet, never that he was God or that he was even Jesus. But that he was the, that he was the Lamb of God. He was there. He was God's conduit. Like he, yes. yes. So God could talk to him and he could proclaim God's word to everyone. Yes. Yes. He said to his followers, now we may believe the message of Christ 2000 years ago. But of course, when it was given, nobody believed it. When you have a dead prophet, you have a dead voice. Now you have some, um, you have someone that is not even here on your back and you better shape up. I, I don't understand that. Okay, so first of all, the seven seals. Mm-hmm. If you interpret that as written, it has to do with a scroll that are sealed. 
Okay. And I know, like, for the Dead Sea Scrolls, those were actually found. They were hidden. Yes. Um, what is he saying are the seals? Like, where's he getting his information from? Revelations. Okay. So he starts, I mean, it's kind of like, um, like the things that like, the like kind of like stages. Stage one, this okay. is what, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to see. But. But if he's the only one that can interpret it, but it's. There, it's still there, but yet he's like expounding on it, I guess. Okay, so he's taking things that are going on in the real world and said, oh, this is the sign. Yes. Okay. All right. So um, clearly, David Crush held all the power over his followers. How many followers did he have at this time? And then, okay, so David Crush becomes David Crush around what year? 1990. Okay, and so he's got quite a few followers, 25 followers, no. 100 followers. Well, I know in 93, he had about 90. Oh, wow, minimum. that's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, he held the power over his followers. For example, the interpretation of the seven seals and, and another way through several passages in the Bible, mainly the Old Testament on how his followers um, should live their lives. Oh, yeah. So this is how this is what the Bible tells us how we should live. Yeah. And he didn't just come out and say, here are the rules. It was like the kind of like, oh, God spoke to me. This is what he right. says. Because as things bother him or he wants something else, he's going to create his own rule. Pretty much. Okay. And say that God told him to do that. Yes. That's Michael Ryan. Okay. Yes. So shockingly, <laughs> it was later revealed that David Koresh practiced polygamy. Oh, gosh. Because God wants you to have all the women. Mm -hmm. On a grand scale. Now, he also looks to David and Cyrus, who also had multiple wives. Plural marriage was not unheard of in in the Bible. Koresh believed that because he was the prophet of the Branch Davidians and the Lamb of God, he must father as many children with different women. Okay. So based on his belief on the Bible uh, or the book of Isaiah, even though there are several examples of plural marriage in the Old Testament, he, he the book of Isaiah is what he's really honing in and says, in his own words, David Koresh equated the practice of a type of religious militancy if you don't win in the bedroom, son, you're not going to win on the battlefield. Holy shit. You know, this is so interesting because I did write a blog on these guys. Mm -hmm. And I named just a few things that I noticed they all had. Polygamy is definitely one of them. Yes. And the fact that they are, they're the godlike person and nobody can touch their women and their women are theirs. Yes, yes. So he would ultimately have 17 kids. By how many women? Well, I know for a fact he had 17 children, two with underage girls and others with adult women who were technically married to other men. It's said that he had up to 20 wives. Wow. Yeah. Even though many of them were already married, he called this the House of David. Okay, so pri probably you're going to get to this, but I just watched that. I kind of like half-assed listened to an episode of the David, the Waco thing on mm -hmm. Netflix, yes. which I know is a dramatized version of events that right. seemed totally biased to me. But the one thing that I did catch is this husband and wife were outside in a parking lot or something, and they were arguing. And she said to her husband, you know, we've been trying for 10 years to have a baby and I'm finally pregnant. And she said, I'm not the one who wanted to do this. You're the one that made me have sex with David Koresh. You're yes. the one who gave me up. I wanted to be your wife. Well, David really came to him and said. Now, who is him? Because his name you know, is Stephen. Okay. Um, I can't think of their last name right now. So that's yeah. true then. That 
that yeah. part of the document. There's, in that docu- in that show, there's nothing made up. Okay. It's not like I mean, it's all based on David Thibodeau's book. It just seemed rather. Uh, I mean, it it just seemed a little biased to me. Like I don't know dramatizations. Like if you were to read the book Roots, it would not be like the movie made for movie, uh, made for TV movie. Right. Right. So and, I. So that is true. That that the husband gave his wife up. And then got pissed off because she got pregnant? Well. Because he was, like, mad at her. It's like, bitch, you gave me up. And that's pretty much what she said. She didn't call him a bitch, but. Yeah. I but, just, I mean. Sorry. I'm not a woman like that. My husband can't tell me who I'm going to. Right. But know? we're not of that mindset either. Because, see, what happened was, is he came and he declared all of the men followers, all the male followers, um, by God's word, needed to be celibate. And the only one who could have sex was him. With the women. Okay, so what he and had it, a fucking power over these people mm-hmm. caused him to give up your wife. Yeah. And your wife just did whatever you told. Right. And just like in that show where um, I know you didn't watch all of it, but towards the end of it, that David Thibodeau, the guy who. The wrote, young kid that he meets kid, in the bar. Yeah. Okay. He actually says to him, he was like, because he makes him marry. Yes, I did see part of that. Right. Okay. So um, he re- that really took place. And he said, you know, can I leave? And can I take her with me? And he says to him, these women are not yours. She is not your wife. They are my so wife. So we're going to get to that mine. where he, okay. Because yeah. I know you're jumping ahead. And I, but I was just curious because, you know, if he is, if he is the only one that can have sex with these women, these women, are they getting a choice on whether they want to have sex with him? Or do they just want you because he's so damn sexy? Well, he grooms them. Like, I started to watch a different documentary, and I, and I stopped watching it because I didn't want to see it before I got to that stage of my research. Okay. But what little bit I did watch, a girl was like, he was grooming me from the time that I was like 11 yeah. years old. Yeah, well, the children I can see, that's different. But talking about the women, the mm-hmm. women who... Um, married before they like came into the cult or whatever. Well, the whole reason why he made that or had that, you know, talked that David Thibodeau, Thibodeau guy into marrying, um, it was actually his wife's younger sister, like his real wife, the Rachel. It was her younger sister. The reason why those two got married was because they had David Crush and this girl. Um, I think her name was Michelle. They got, they had a child together already, but she was a minor when. And they weren't legally married. So that is breaking the law. And because they knew that the authorities were investigating them, they had them get married so that it could look like that they were together and that okay. child was theirs. Okay. All right. So um, back to the House of David. So basically that's the deal. It was like a harem of sorts. So he had all these women, concubines, concubines, and in his mind, he was like, well, David and Cyrus, 2,000 years ago, had wives and so lovers So I, I want to talk stuff. about this concubine thing, okay? Because I got into a lot of research. Okay. Because to me, a concubine, when you talk about a concubine, that's kind of like a female slave or a female sex slave. But Is it in, kind of like a consort? In right? olden times, a concubine is a wife. Because well, I found that in a census, I'm like, what? This dude had a con like one of my um, ancestors had a mm-hmm. concubine listed in the census, and, and when I looked it up, it wasn't like a slave, a it polygamous a relationship. Huh. It was, or, or you know, like a, was it like a? Um, it's just another word for wife, or like a common law. 
wife? No, they were legally married. Oh. I found the birth, the marriage certificate, and everything. Hmm. Interesting. I guess it's just a yeah, different just, way of saying. This is like back in the early 1800s. So oh wow, is, that's yeah. interesting. So it's also suggested that uh, due to sexual frustration of the men, uh, he lifted David Koresh lifted the ban on alcohol and smoking. And you know he was in a rock band, and they were like music was really yeah. Because I think I did catch the scene where he met the Thibodeau guy mm-hmm. at a bar, like yeah. they were playing a gig together or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the even though these activities were frowned upon, they were largely ignored because he was like, well, you know, I'm not letting them get their rocks off, so I might as well yeah. let them. It's kind of like what the military did for the soldiers in, in Vietnam. You know, let's just give them a bunch of drugs. That'll keep them quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They all come okay. back all fucked up. So these are seem like crazy rules, but many people abided by them. And they, and however, he, they were always welcome to leave. You so know? they weren't locked in. They weren't. But it wasn't like they just said, oh, you want to leave? Okay. He would really guilt trip them. And that's how a lot of them ended up staying anyway, is that he would say, well, you're, you know, he would just give them this real big guilt trip and you're letting God down and you're letting me down and I, you know, and so our message isn't ready yet. And so they would just say, okay, I'll stay. So some ended up leaving and some stayed right up until they burned that bitch to the ground. All right. So on, um, now on February 27th, this is the day. And this is 19... 1993. Okay. So fast forward 1993, the day before the ATF raided the Waco compound, the Waco Tribune released the uh, the first part of a seven-part series called The Sinful Messiah by Mark England and Darlene McCormick. According to the book that I've been reading, these journalists did not use all credible sources for their expose. They pretty much only used materials from disgruntled Branch Davidians. So that's the book that you have right here? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was a different name. It's called The Sinful Messiah? No, 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 no. That's the article. The, in, the Sinful Messiah is the Waco, Texas newspaper that oh, okay. released a seven-part okay. series. So they're saying that this newspaper did not use credible sources. Right. So well, they did, they, they did not use all of their credible sources. They did really in-depth research, but what they ended up publishing was mainly just from disgruntled Branch Davidians. Well, I mean, I think that that's important to get the word out what's going on because if you look at Scientology, we wouldn't know anything about the awful things unless people the people talked. who got out or LDS or any of those. Like when people talk, that's when we learn the horrific conditions of this. And I think this kind of almost borderline kind of like sensationalism like national well, yeah, choir level it's, it's definitely you know this man these people are giving up their wives they're letting their daughters sleep with this man right and see and people really didn't know that and they and they didn't know about the underage wives and the underage you know and what they were doing in there um and so for instance when i watched that waco thing it didn't say that there was you they talked about abuse of children but um, David Thibodeau says he never saw any abusive children, but he was only there for like 90 days. He wasn't there very long. Right. Um, I mean, maybe a little there bit longer, but not. There was a scene where one of the little kids stole some ice cream or something. Mm-hmm. And he like got everybody in the room and everybody thought that the kid was going to be, you know, punished. Right. But he wasn't. But the undercover agent was there and he was already under suspicion. Oh, he so already... you're not even going to tell us about that part today, are you? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. So a very young Australian a man by the name of Mark Brulot. Brulot? Brault. Brault. Okay. Became disenfranchised with Koresh when... He, David Koresh claimed that all women 
claimed all the women as his own, even this Mark guy's wife, who wasn't even there. She was in Australia. And he was like, I don't think so, dude. So she was nowhere near the United States. But he, that didn't sit well with him. Like, he was really digging and was happy there, loved his life. But then that, he was like, right. maybe. Major red flag. Yeah, maybe this isn't my deal. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to head out now. So he eventually headed out straight to the ATF. So why would he go straight to the ATF? Because like, they, was, were, they were already investigating them. So, so when, the ATF went to the, went to him. Well, the article, they're doing the article. And I think that the newspapers talking with the ATF, they're all in a very small town. So once they hear that, you know, I'm not real sure how those two got hooked up together, but I know that they did. And he gave the ATF a lot of information. Well, if I know the ATF, they probably had something on him and said, you know. Not this guy. Okay. All right. Um, so as I've already, he must've been angry then if he, it wasn't like an amicable split, he might've been angry, which is why he went to the ATF. Yeah. This he is was like, yeah, he was very disenfranchised, very disgruntled because he was like, this is bullshit. You're not going to have my wife. Sorry. Right. Um, so the book is stating that perhaps the public could overlook polygamy because you know what people, it, cause it's a religious sect, sect in particular, such acts happen. They're consenting adults. What they do behind closed doors, really not any of our business. Um, I don't, I have a problem with polygamy. Well, I do. Yes. Have you ever watched Sister Wives? Well, and that's what I was about to say. We even have a TV show now about, you know, Sister Wives, but here's my thing. I have a problem with polygamy. Okay. He's only legally married to one of those women, though. Right. And then that's the thing, is that was he, was he getting, like, welfare and all that from, was he collecting all that? Because that's what the FLDS and some of the other cults do, is... They have those children, those women collect, go get WIC and welfare and all that. Uh, I always wondered, like, what? That's, are... a, that's a big, huge, like, um, okay. way that they feed their children and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about that when okay. I do mine. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, no, as of yet, I have not read any of that. You know, um, so a lot of people will be like, well, who cares what they're doing behind closed doors? You know, it's not our business. Um, however, the public will not overlook sex with underage minors. Mm-hmm. Okay, children. Statutory rape is a serious crime, but pedophilia carries a heavier sentence in the state of Texas, while both are still felonies. Just being a pedophile is way worse. All right, so as I've already mentioned, David Crush did marry Rachel Jones when she was only 14 years old, but Texas law states that as long as you have parental consent, it's fine, and that it's not unlawful. Polygamy is also a crime in the United States, but rarely prosecuted. So were Rachel Jones's parents in this... Obviously, they must have been in the cult, right? Or at the bra- a branch of any Yes, her dad was. I think that her mother had died. Okay, so Rachel Jones is... David Koresh's legal wife. Okay, the first wife that he had. Yes. The writers of the sensationalized article knew that sex and violence would sell more copies, so... Any good that the Branch to Davidians had done, taking people in or anything like that, really kind of didn't get reported because they were just trying to sell newspapers. They were trying to just shock, shock everyone. And um, the Sinful Messiah series was also heavy with information about the arsenal of weapons that the Branch Davidians had been collecting. So this is the primary reason that they were on the ATF's radar. They started originally investigating them because of the amount of weapons that they were buying and owning. Now, so when this guy comes out, he's like, I'm out of here. 
Right. And he gave them some information. Guy. Yeah. Then they're going to go, oh, what? You know, let's just find out what this guy knows. Right. And the article s- s- talks about all of these weapons. They use words like assault weapons, machine guns. And the book even reflects that gun collectors use these words all the time. They don't hold any more meaning than the word shotgun. But to the layperson, those words are frightening. You hear automatic weapon, machine gun, assault weapon, you know, like, oh my God, when really, I mean, I know this because of my husband, but like an AR-15 is not an assault weapon. That's not what AR even stands for, even though like assault rifle, that's not, it can it be made into an automatic? Yes, but it's not, so is a nine millimeter handgun. They take the same, like it's the same type of weapon, like, it's a semi-automatic weapon. I'll remain silent on this. <laughs> so, but to people who don't know about weapons, they're like, oh my God, they have assault weapons in there? They have machine guns? Oh my God. I mean, that's kind of startling and can be frightening because then you start using words like cult and polygamy and, you know, underage sex and people start to get a little a little crazy. But in the series also never mentioned that there was a supposed b- biblical explanation for the plural marriages. They never distinguished between the differences of automatic, semi-automatic rifles and that all the weapons on the compound were perfectly legally owned. So then people say, like, they have all these weapons. Are they stealing them? Are they legal? You know, I mean, you know how just shit gets crazy. Then, um, I'm sorry, but to me, that is scary. Here is this man who has this control all over over all of these people and they're amassing weapons. And, the, you know, no matter what you say about these weapons, the whole point is to kill other people with them. So they are they are scary weapons. I mean, I can see if you have a weapon to protect yourself. Um, that's one thing. But when you have an arsenal of weapons that's for a war. I mean, unless, well, that's what he taught about was there was going to be okay, a war. Okay, so that's scary. That's what I said. Oh. <laughs> you were saying, I thought you were condoning it. I'm like, what the hell is No, I'm saying? just saying that this article didn't put it out there that these, that there is a difference between an automatic, a semi-automatic, a rifle, mm-hmm. legally owned guns, not legally owned guns, because technically in this Texas, people own guns. And if you own them legally, you really can't really say much I about it. I wonder if we it, can go back and find this article. I think I want to go back and find it. Oh, I'm sure we probably could. I, I mean, have as homework much number as I, two. I need to write this down. All right. So anyway, all of this together was just a recipe for disaster because people start seeing the word cult flown around and their evil cult leader, David Koresh. And people were scared. And that's when the media shows up. The ATF shows up. And... It's on like Donkey Kong at that point. That's part one of our two-part series on David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, and okay. the raid. Listen, I don't like this guy. I've never liked this guy. <laughs> no, I can't stand this like, guy. I remember this. Like, I remember this. 1993, I'm aging myself, but I was like in my, uh, I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I totally remember this. And the pictures of him like really gross me out. It, it's kind of like, he kind of reminded me a little bit of John Lennon in a creepier sort of way. I think he could have, I think he could have done good with people done well and like helped people. But he was just so, like you said, narcissistic and just. I mean, I'm sure that he did. He gave people purpose and he was kind to people that's one of the first things that these cult leaders do in order to get people in is they extend kindness and then they start like you said earlier grooming that was a great word for it 
uh, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, I don't know. Like, and I, I, I just don't understand people who fall for this. Like, I think that's my fascination with this whole thing is how can people fall for this? All right, well, look at Jim Jones. I mean, my this- husband tries to give me up. No, listen, <laughs> dude's hot. If the dude's hot is something I want to do, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I don't no. think that that would ever happen. I just don't feel like that's a part of my personality. My husband would not be down with that at all. He'd kill him. He'd be like, you want what? No, you're dead. Goodbye. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, who Never knows? find your body I don't again. Know. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. And then in part two, I'm going to get into more of the personality of really some deep, dark secrets of David Koresh and how he truly behaved because there are people who survived. Yeah. And there are people who survived that love him and swear by him. And there are people who survived and are like, why did my fucking mother make me do that shit? Or why did I make my children do that? There are survivors who were able to leave that now have been deprogrammed and are like, oh, my God, what did I do? Right, right. Well, thanks, Cindy. That was um, seriously definitely interesting i learned a lot about david crush i did not know and that's why i wanted to kind of go yeah back back yeah. in time i wanted to go back in time and kind of cover that because we know what happened the 51 days prior sort of you know and i'll get into why the atf really was as aggressive as they were and after watching that waco i just got pissed off because there were plenty of times when david koresh 100 percent could have stopped this from happening I don't care that the ATF might have been a little aggressive. The FBI might have been a little gr- aggressive, but, but it's it like, still comes yeah. back to David Koresh. It's like your guy Gordon Call. You don't put stupid ass egomaniacs in a corner because it's not going to be good. No. They're no. not going to back down and they don't care who goes with them. And they're negotiators. And, they, and they're like martyrs. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, this story is just unbelievable. I cannot wait to hear the rest of it next week. Yes, ma'am. I can't wait to tell you. And I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to be looking up the deep state. I'm going to try to find those sinful Messiah articles that you mentioned. So I'm super excited about that. Thanks so much for listening. We were, we hope you were just as intrigued by this week's episode as we were. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, you can, you can subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating. While you're there, please leave us a comment about absolutely anything. We really want to thank our current Patreon supporters. Thank you. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success, and they really help push us up the charts. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our wonderful stories. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us and not thinking we're a little weird with our obsession. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters once again. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't me. me.